0: Well, good morning again. This morning we're in week seven of our nine-week study through the book of Colossians. You know what to do. Grab your Bible, your device, whatever you got, and find the book of Colossians in the New Testament. So we've got about two more weeks after this in this book, and then we'll begin uh, part one of sort of a broken-up, multi-part study through the book of Genesis. So I'm excited about that, and that'll begin I guess three weeks from today, two weeks, uh, two more weeks in the book of Colossians. So find Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verses 12 to 17. i looking at that together, Colossians chapter 3. The Holy Spirit says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. I can remember the first time I experienced it. I was at my first Big boy job work party. And I was pulling double duty that night. I was working behind the scenes. I was also expected to come and mingle at this party with all of these people that I didn't know. And I was supposed to stay until the end and clean up afterward. And I was working through that. And because it was my first work party and I was I was fresh out of college. This was a real job, you know. I, I wanted to impress everybody. And so I got there, and I realized that I was underdressed. I had come to this party, not badly dressed, but my bright red sweater and my work pants didn't fit with the suits and ties. And the city officials that were at this event with us, I wasn't dressed right for the occasion. And Paul, in our passage this morning, wants to talk to us about our clothing, Not our literal clothing, not what you're literally wearing, but our spiritual clothing. Looking at certain church clothes, our virtue, our character as a church that we must put on, that we must wear. That we as the people of God aren't to be known for simply wearing our Sunday best and putting on our best character and virtue one day a week. But rather we're to be known for our Monday through Saturday holiness in how we live I heard one preacher describe that Paul in this passage is almost giving us a picture of a man who'd recently been freed from the prison of sin. And he's t- and he says, take off your orange jumpsuit and put on new clothes to begin your new life. So I want you to imagine that that's the scene here because that's really what Paul's telling us. Back in chapter 3... Verses 1 to 4, Paul is telling us that Christians are to seek the things that are above, to seek Christ and he's in heaven. And we do that by setting our mind on the things above, setting our mind on who he is and what he has done. But then in verses 5 to 11, he turns and tells us we saw last week to put off the deeds of the flesh, to take off the prison clothes of sin and the world that entrap us. That we've been freed from slavery and our prison to sin. Why should we live in those clothes any longer? Who wants to live the jumpsuit? At, who wants to wear the jumpsuit out into their new freed life? He says, take it off. And he gives us now four virtues, four, four characteristics that we're going to put on as God's people. Think of these as clothes we put on. And he says, first, put on the love of Christ. Put on the love of Christ. Notice verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's important to know that all of these verbs are what you would call, if you opened up a commentary on this passage, a second person plural verb. In other words, he's not simply saying you individually do this. If I could translate this into the Kentucky vernacular, he's saying y'all do it. Not just you individually, but y'all as a body put on these things. Do this as a Christian community, as a church. And see, there's so much of the New Testament that is this way. That assumes, that implies, that makes clear that, they're, that, that Christians are to be a part of a local body. There's in our day this sort of going solo, me and Jesus and my Bible under a tree, I'm spiritual but not religious, sort of Christianity that's foreign to the New Testament. The New Testament seemed clear any it spoke of a Christian or gives a command to Christians. It implies that they are there in community. We're to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as a community, not simply as individuals. And we're to display these virtues in the context of a Christian community. The bottom line... We, each of us as believers, are expected to be a part of a Christian community, and the Holy Spirit is commanding us this morning to love those in that community. And the Holy Spirit, before he would encourage us to love one another, he wants to remind us of how loved we are by God. Before we turn and begin to love others, he says, start by reminding yourself, being reminded of how loved you are. Look again at verse 12. Put on, then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to be a Christian? That that, that sort of statement there, that phrase sums it up. It means to be chosen by God, by grace, out of his kindness and goodness, apart from our works. It means to be holy, to be set apart by God, given a new nature with new desires and affections. And it means to be beloved, to be the recipient of God's sacrificial and incredible love for us. He says that you're to be like my Brita filter at home. And by that I mean any time that I'm filling up the water pitcher with this, with this Brita filter that we got, I, I'm always doing something else. I'm always dishes, whatever I'm doing, so I put the pitcher underneath the sink and I run the water and I go and I start doing whatever else I'm doing. And then I come back, and the pitcher, the water's running over. It's dripping everywhere. I always do this, and it's just flowing everywhere. And, friends, in Jesus, we have an ever-flowing stream of love and grace and mercy that's meant to overflow onto everything around us. That we, as God's chosen, holy, and beloved people, have been given, as Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given to us, so it can pour out and overflow out of us onto the world. And that begins by getting all over this body, the people that we're around, we can... And week out. As God's chosen, holy, and beloved people, He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What does Christian love look like? There it is. He gives you five terms here for what Christian love looks like. And they're all found right there in verse 12. First, He says, put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassion hearts. If you ever read the old King James Version, I love the way this translates it. It translates it as bowels of mercy. First, that sounds like a hardcore Christian rock band. So if, you don't, if you're ever wanting to start one of those, there's the name that you should give to your band. But it also tells us that maybe the word heart here isn't strong enough. That the idea of bowels or intestines were the deepest possible part of you that's where your compassion needs to come from. The deepest possible compassion that you, need to ha- that you can have, that's where it's to come from. Second, he says that we're to have kindness, compassionate hearts, and kindness. So it's not meant, just meant to be some warm, fuzzy feeling deep inside of us, but actually it's meant to help us love other people and pursue other people and show kindness to other people. Third and fourth, and these are kind of interconnected a little bit, but humility and meekness. Humility and meekness. These are huge. Humility is simply thinking with a proper perspective of ourselves. And meekness, the, the other translations break this down as gentleness, which I think is a great way to think about it. Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. It's power under control. It's, and he says to have that in our life. And fifth, we're to put on patience. Patience. I love this. Because the Holy Spirit says that if you want to have real Christian community and you want to be a part of a church, you are going to need patience. That the, the church here, any healthy church, is, is, thrives on Jesus and patience. And in verse 13, he describes what this patience looks like. Look at verse 13 with me. Look at this. He says, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Patience will require bearing with one another, putting up with one another. Recognizing there are going to be people who you're going to gather with, who you're going to disagree with, who might offend you, and who might even at some point hurt you emotionally or say something that really kind of hurts you a little bit. But as a Christian community, life together under the kingship of Jesus requires us to show the same love that we have received. Full stop. No exceptions. No asterisks down at the bottom that says except for you. He says you need to show the same love you received. Did you see that there in verse 13? He said forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That our love is measured not by what the world says love is. But rather, that Jesus is the measure of what our love is to look like. He's to be the measure of our compassion and our patience and our kindness, our humility, our meekness. And verse 13, 14 really puts a nice bow on the whole discussion. Above all, bottom line, he says, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The fruit of this Christian love will be a community that's bound together in harmony. In perfect harmony, it says. Notice that it doesn't say to do this for your community because they're sinless. In fact, it implies you cannot forgive each other if there are not times where there's going to be sin and you might be sinned against. It also doesn't say that that your community and people in our Christian community won't be annoying. Let me tell you something. Jesus died for annoying people. And friends, if he can lay down his life for them, you can bear with them a little bit, can't you? And let some things go. Just let it go. Our church will never be perfect, but will we be known as a people who have put on the love of Christ? Second thing we're to put on. Put on the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. just, Just look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The word rule here could be translated as directed or controlled or more literally let the peace of Christ be your umpire. The way the umpire in a baseball game will make the will ultimately make the call. So the peace of Christ must make the call for us. And what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that our peace with Christ ought to overflow into our relationships with other Christians. That we can be reconciled to one another because we have been reconciled to Christ. That we have a peace that Christ has purchased. Consider Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 and 22 that we looked at a few weeks ago. And here's what it says. And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. If Christ could be reconciled to people who were hostile to him and alienated to him, why can't you be reconciled to your neighbor or to your brother and sister? We've been reconciled to Christ. And the scripture actually says, as a Christian body, we've already been reconciled one to another. Whether we walk in, that's another issue. But look at Colossians 3.11, which is something we looked at last week. Here, so in the gospel, in the the church, in God's community, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Here he pits natural and cultural enemies side by side and says that any enmity between them is gone. It's gone. It's done away with. He, he gets a little deeper in the book of Ephesians. He writes about the Jew-Gentile divide, which is probably the most bitter feud of the time that you could possibly imagine. And here's what he says. This is Colossians 2, verse 14 to 16. He says, he himself, being Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. One new man. Whether Jew or Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free, anything that would normally create a division or hostility among God's people is destroyed by the cross and replaced with peace. Colossians chapter 3 is saying that as well. Colossians 3.15, he says, and let the Peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. One body, not two. And there are so many things in our day that seek to divide the people of God. Rich, poor, black, white, and any other color along the spectrum. So many things in our world have tried to produce division and hostility. But Colossians 3 says, not in Christ's body. He died to produce peace within this community. That hostility should only be between the church and the world, not within the people of God. And then he closes the verse, don't miss this, by saying, and be thankful. And be thankful. This is something to be thankful for. It's something to give thanks that not everybody in this body is just like you. We are different. We all have our own struggles, our own sins. We come from different places, different cultures. I find that even more interesting. Here in Katie's, it seems like you've got plenty of people that grew up here their whole life, and then you've got a lot of people that got here as fast as they could. We've got all sorts of folks here from all sorts of different backgrounds and cultures, and that's something to be thankful for because our unity is not in some of those other things. It's in Jesus It's in who he is and what he's done in a world of division and disharmony. God says we're to wage war with thankfulness. In fact, thankfulness has been a theme throughout this whole book of Colossians, hasn't it? I think I've said this almost every week. You can look in your notes and see these, that thankfulness flows throughout the book of Colossians. Recall back in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul gives thanks for the faith of the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul prayed that believers would give thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that as people rooted in Christ, we're to overflow in thanksgiving. In our text this morning, Colossians 3:15, be thankful. Colossians 3, 16, we're told to sing with thankfulness to God. Colossians 3, 17, just two verses later, he says that we should do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And chapter 4, verse 2, rounds this out and says, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It seems like the Holy Spirit wants to get something across, When he says it in every chapter of the book, and sometimes multiple times within a chapter, we're to be the most thankful people. Thanksgiving is a fundamentally Christian holiday. It's coming up, it's still a ways off, but I always like to ask people who maybe don't believe in God or don't have any sort of direct connection with God. When you celebrate for things that weren't given to you, for let's say a mother and father, you had nothing to do with that for higher things in this life that you've been given, the, the, the blessings that could only come from above. When you come together for thanksgiving, who exactly are you thankful to? Who exactly? That, who, who exactly? What, who, who are you thankful to for this stuff? You didn't get this. This was given to you. We're to put on the peace of Christ, which overflows into our peace with others, and overflow into thanksgiving together. Third, We put on the word of Christ. We put on his love. We put on his peace. Now we put on his word. Notice verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He kind of mixes his metaphor a little bit here, and that's okay, because he wants to talk about the word dwelling or settling in us richly. See, the word of God isn't something you can simply take on or take off as a Christian, It's something that when it gets inside you, it takes up residence there. This gives the picture of the Word of God making a home in you. Not just coming to stay, but making it home. You all know the difference. You invite someone over... And they st- and you invite someone over to stay, or, you come to- or they come for lunch, and you keep the house clean. You really sort of pretty the place up. You, you throw a bunch of stuff in the closet because they're not going to open that closet, right? But when the Word of God comes to make himself at home, he gets to stay, and he sees the dirty dishes. He gets to see the laundry. He gets to see what's in that closet. He opens it, and all the stuff falls out on top That's what happens when the Word of God lives in you because it gets into your mess. And that's what Colossians 3.16 is wanting you to do. Let the Word of Christ live with you, make home in you. And what does it look like for the Word of God to be at home with you? Or what does it look like to be indwelt with the Word of Christ? It's there in your notes, and there's so much we could say here. But verse 16 tells us that when the Word of Christ dwells in us richly... We are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. It flows out in teaching each other and singing with each other. When the word of God dwells in you, you will teach each other and sing with each other. Every believer is called to teach now. Not every believer is called to do what I'm doing right now. Standing behind a pulpit, preaching to God's gathered people on Sunday, but all believers are to be teachers. Everyone whom the word of God indwells is meant to exude the word of God to others around them. Parents, this is part of the call on your life toward your kids. The word of God dwells in you, and you've got one of the greatest roles in the kingdom of God, making disciples right under your roof. Think about it as friends, believers. You have friends around you who you could be teaching the word of God to. Maybe not in a formal sense, but even in an informal sense by how you live and the things you say and, and different things that you do. Older men and women, the Bible calls for your calling to be to teach the younger women and the younger men how to walk in obedience and holiness. All of us are filled with God's word so that we'll overflow And fill others. But it isn't just done by teaching. It's also done by singing. By singing what we just did a little bit ago. I love our worship team because they seek to lead us in doing this. And being filled with God's word so that we overflow and fill others. This isn't just done, though. This isn't just something that, that, that a few of us are to do. The worship team isn't the only people that are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did you know when you came to Jesus, you joined the choir? You joined the choir. This is something we're to do together. This isn't a performance that's happening up here. This is leading you to, for us to sing one to another. You may not like your voice and that's okay. You may sing off key and that's okay. You may have never thought about it, but worship is both vertical. We praise God, but this text says it's also horizontal. You're singing and encouraging one another. Hearing you sing encourages your pastor and it encourages other people around you that you're singing these incredible truths. What we do when we sing in this room is a ministry to one another. It's something we do because we've been filled up in order to fill others up. You want to know the clearest sign that God loves singing? He wrote a whole book of songs. The book of Psalms, right? For, for us to sing and encourage one another. If you didn't think God cared about Christian singing, I don't think he would have put an album together and put it there in the middle of your Bible. We encourage one another by singing and by teaching. The love of Christ is meant to overflow in our love for others. The peace of Christ outpours into peace among ourselves. And the word of Christ breaks out of us and pours throughout by teaching and singing together. Finally, fourth, we put on the glory of Christ. Put on the glory of Christ. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, Paul's going to get specific over the next two weeks, and you'll see this. He's going to get specific about what it means to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In particular, he'll handle next week the area of family and work, how to have your family and your workplace in a way that would, that would glorify the name of the Lord. But then in two weeks, he'll talk about how to have neighborly relationships and friendships that that glorify and 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 are done in the name of the Lord. But this is all-encompassing. This is all-encompassing. In word and in deed, this is in everything we do. A great parallel is down in Colossians 3, verse 23. Look at this. This is a great parallel. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever it is, do it. For God, do it in his name, for his reputation for what others so what others think about him is honor and this doesn 't just mean you you do it and then you tack a you do it halfway and then you tack a Bible verse on it, and look, I did it for God. There was a, a reformer, uh, Martin Luther, who talked about if the shoemaker in his making of the shoe glorifies God, and he says, yes, but he doesn't do it simply by putting John 3.16 on the sole of the shoe, but he does it by making a really good shoe, by doing good, hard work and praising God for it all the way and giving opportunities to share the message of John 3.16 and telling them who Jesus is by what they do, so that his name is glorified. See, God's name is a massive theme throughout the Bible. Psalm 38, verse 2, says that God is exalted above all things his name and his word. Above all things, that's what he is exalted. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is a great zeal for his name and a devotion to making his name great. And even in the New Testament, this zeal is not quieted you ever thought about what you pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. In other words, that his name would be regarded as holy, treated as supreme, set apart, unique untouchable, one of a kind, worthy of worship, worthy to be both treasured and fear. We do all things for the exaltation of his name because he is at the center of the universe. And Paul again intends for this to be all-encompassing. Some people will read this in verse 17 and he says, well do, do whatever you do in word or in deed but he doesn't really mean my thoughts. So I'm going to Doing word and deed things that honor Him. I'm going to think whatever I want. No, 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 no. He's being all-encompassing here. That every single thing we do would be for God's great name, because there are many other names vying for your attention. Some people do every word indeed in the name of money. Some people do every word indeed in the name of popularity and praise for the world others in the name of love. But as Colossians 1 reminded us a few weeks ago, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus for his glory. Therefore, again, he is at the center of the universe, which means guess what? You aren't. (sighs) Deep breath. Deep breath. Universe off your shoulders, right? You are not the center of the universe. That's one of the most comforting things I can tell you this morning. What drives everything you do? What's the blood that courses through your veins? What causes your heart to beat with passion and purpose? Friends, Jesus is meant to be that, that his glory, his reputation, his fame, his greatness would be what drives us in everything we do. See, many of us will wear these clothes of love and peace and the word and, and glory maybe for a couple hours on Sunday or maybe even for the whole day. But these clothes are meant to be worn in everything we do individually. But I think the Holy Spirit wants to get a little bigger than just individually. He wants to ask what our church wears. How do we live together How's our community? Do we spend enough time together that we actually have to bear with and forgive others? Do we go deep enough that patience and compassion are something we actually have to pray to God for? Because we're around this person and we're in life together and we've committed to them? Is our Christian community marked by division and strife or by peace that only Christ can give? You know, we often talk about how God can restore all things, and yet many of us will live our whole lives without pursuing reconciliation and restoration with others. Is there someone in these walls or even outside these walls who you need to be reconciled with? This is, this is, this is, this is off my notes. God wants to say to you to make it right. That repentance and looking to the cross, you can seek as far as it depends on you to be at peace with them. Let it go. Whatever it is, let it go. In Jesus' name, and we can have reconciliation because brothers and sisters in Christ should not have barriers between them. Has the word of God come to live in this house with us? Not just about the preaching or anything like that, but does everything we do serve to fill us up with God's word so that it's overflowing to the world? If we want to ask ourselves, are we filled up? We need to ask ourselves, are we overflowing to others? (laughs) So I ask ourselves, are we as a community overflowing? We're just, as the water fills over the edge of the pitcher, so the word of God is just overflowing out of us into the world. Is it doing that? And finally, what drives all we do? Are we, like many, seeking the opinion and the praise of others? Don't we all in the flesh long to be liked by the world? In our flesh, that's something we like. In, a, in our sin. And yet, we need to be driven by a greater praise. One day, we'll be met with our Savior. And the Bible says he will say to those who have lived for him and who know him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That there's a day coming where there will be a celebration that those who are who are consumed with glory will long to hear. That there's going to be a hand clap from heaven, a celebration, a a good, a well done that should echo through our ears as we live and seek to live to honor our King. Whose opinion do we long for in this church? Oh, the goodness of God, that you are able to, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, have your prison closed, removed, and replaced by grace with holiness, righteousness, peace, and hope. New dress is available to you through the grace of Jesus, through faith in Jesus. And this morning, I would implore you, whether it be your first time or the thousandth time, to put on these things, the love of Christ, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the glory of Christ, to put on these new clothes of faith, and so to live as his holy and chosen people in Trigg County and Katy's and beyond. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Father God, thank you for cho- for, that you choose out of grace to save people, that you're holy, that you've, cr- that you've made us and set us apart to be holy. Lord, we're thankful that you were beloved by you, recipients of your divine love, undeserved, unmerited. And Lord, we're thankful that you died so that we could die, and you've risen so that we could rise into newness of life. And I pray today anyone within the sound of my voice, whether here or online, would right now take off by your grace those prison clothes of sin and put on instead the new dress of new life, in Christ Lord help us to be a community that loves one another bears and forgives one another help us to be a community that has peace ruling over us that we can be reconciled we don't have to live in disharmony and disunity Lord help us to be a people filled with your word that it would indwell us and overflow out of us in our teaching and our singing and finally help us to be people committed to your glory I pray we've seen how great your name is this morning and how worthy you are to live with everything we have. Draw us to yourself and be honored as we sing together. And we pray this on Jesus' name.